welcome back. You know what time it is. Um, back again. God, not used to this word, Craig. I'm getting used to it. The, the number one podcast of the sport where every so often you've got to pause, reflect, and give thanks. So the question I get a lot of is, why were the six weeks between 99 and 100? And that wasn't the original plan, by the way. I thought I'd go straight from 99 to 100. But one of the things that started to nag at me was I was feeling the external pressure to deliver. And boxing wasn't giving much that you could use to deliver. I think at that time, the MTK stuff had kind of drifted into being a bit samey. And so there was no new edge to that. And you got the impression that that was just drifting towards a, a negotiated solution, which I think is where the energy is headed right now. So it's best to leave that one until someone can find a new impetus or a new line of attack. So I'll probably leave that one alone, at least in terms of in-depth in discussion. But over time, I just said, actually, let me just take a break. Let me look at what the sport really is. And I think the outputs of that may come in another episode. But on a personal level, at that point, I'd done over 300 of these episodes in various forms. If you if you add together New Age, if you then include what I've done off my own back and what I've done with guys like Porky, for example, I'm, I'm well over 300. And in terms of hours, uh, you're, you're, in, you're into the 1,000 hours, maybe 1,200 hours. And all of that takes effort and all of that takes concentration and all of that takes energy. Think about what 1,200 hours is. 1,200 hours is what uh, an okay solicitor will build in, a, in, in any given year. That's what they will build. You know, 12 hours. And then think about the amount of work that goes into be able, being able to produce those 12 hours of work. So what I've done over the last six years is it's not inconsiderable. And that's also with a full-time job. There are other people who do this full-time. And so it's easier for them to generate content because... Their mind doesn't have to think about two different domains at the same time. Whereas I'm having to juggle a day job along with understanding what's going on in boxing and how can I make this into good content. So you get to a certain point and you're like, I just need to take a step back from this and see, am I giving the audience exactly what they asked for? And so to do that, you have to understand how I ended up here. Now, if you want to go that far back, I remember being... I would have been about 15. And me and my mate, Westy and Beanie, were like, yeah, let's go and try this boxing thing. So Westy's old man takes us to Oxford YMCA. We go there a few times. And it was all right. I would have done that forever if I could have done, but they weren't that interested. And my dad was too busy with work to drive me down there. It was a nightmare to get to. So that dream kind of died until I found another club, which was up the road from me. And I'd knock about there. There were a lot of travelers there back in the day. And no one really wanted to train me because I guess I didn't look like I could fight. So I'd spar and I'd do okay for a bit. But all that did was make me handy in the streets. So I was always comfortable looking after myself, always comfortable if I had to get into it with people. But it was never serious because at this time I started getting good at rugby. Played for the county, played for the Southwest. Was meant to have the England under 18 trials back in the day. Politics intervened in that, but that's fine. You move on. 
And it wasn't until about two years later when I went to university, I went, I'm in Sheffield. And this is when the Ingle thing was still popping. So this is 2000, the Ingle thing, the energy was still popping. And I used to go down there, down to Winkerbank, get the, God, you used to have to get the tram all the way to Meadow Hall, then walk. That's the yeah, real old school way of doing things. Others used to get the bus, but I remember I'd go there, I'd go there infrequently. I think I only went there about 50 times in three years, which isn't great. But that opened my eyes up to elite level boxing. Because you'd see guys like Ryan and Johnny and the, the usual crowd, along with the, uh, the other guys that then turned out to be quite heavy in the streets. Um, I don't think they want their names on a podcast. But yeah. And that's why I've been cool. Like, I'm cool with Johnny now. Like, you, you see, I see him at shows, weigh-ins, and we can have a good chat. And so I got into it that way. But, like I said, rugby was a primary sport. But I was, I was getting better. Like, I mean, Winkerbank will beat some common sense into you when it comes to boxing, that's for sure. And then, life, like I said, life gets in the way. And it wasn't until I found Fitzroy Lodge, tail end of 2003. And that's when I could have like a sustained period of being involved in one boxing club and really embrace the culture. And I did. So you've got to think, that's nearly, what, 19 years I've had an association with that club. And that's, like, when you talk about real, like, the way I look at boxing now, that's what Mick Carney was instrumental in doing. Uh, Mick, Mick came from a background where he had seen both sides. So he'd worked outside of boxing for a long time, in fact. And through that, he understood how to explain it to lay people or guys who, who didn't really understand the nuance. And so Mick would do that with me over the years and just break stuff down. We fundamentally disagreed on boxing philosophy, by the way, like ultimately probably to my detriment, but we disagreed on that and that's fine. And we'd probably still disagree now. And I've got my case studies to back up my side and he's got far more case studies on his side. But through that process, I got to meet guys like Anthony Small, and I met guys like Dom Akinladi, um, Danny Davis, Martin Welsh. All of these guys who, you know, if you're not involved in boxing and you hear the stories about these guys, they were superheroes, right? But you got to be around them. Um, my mate Linton, Big Linton as well, just being around these guys over the last few years. And that informed me, you know, guys like Steve Bunce would come to the gym, Frank Maloney, everyone came to the gym to see Mick because Mick really understood the sport and he knew who was doing what in the sport. And I think I get that from him. And so you acquire this knowledge. So just for people who want to jump into a podcast, think how far back we've just gone. We've started in the late 90s. And... We're now drifting through the 2000s and, you, you know, you're around guys. You know, mate, Leon Williams becomes British champion. Um, I remember Smalls, he was winning those IBO belts back in the day. And they were the guys we were looking at going, oh, my God. We, we have people amongst us that we would be normally be watching on TV. Now, I remember the days of the Team Solid t-shirts and whatnot. And... The miracles Leon made, because Leon was a light heavyweight. Whatever anyone tries to tell me, Leon was never a cruiserweight. Yet he was able to compete at that level. And you learn all of these things. And when you're around these guys, they're explaining to you what's happening in the game. And I'm always soaking this up. And I'm asking a lot of questions like, why? How does that work? And I'm seeing these contracts. And all this stuff I'm learning, I'm learning. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, by the way. 
And so when you scoot forward to probably 2010, and you know Mick has a chat with me about, look, now is your time to become a, an example to these youngsters in the gym and all this stuff. And I remember talking to him about, maybe I should start training fighters, Mick. <laughs> and he laughed. He said, you don't want to do that. And I said, why? And he said, the sport will never love you. The sport will never love you as much as you love it. And if you stick around too long, it will leave you broken. And I remember Mick said, maybe I stuck around too long, Tell. Maybe I stuck around too long. And that always lived with me. That idea that you don't need to be fully committed to the sport to get your fix and your hit. And some, some of the people who do, it's at the detriment of their families and their own lives. And then they get to a point and they go, what did I do all of this for? So 2010, who was in the gym at the time? And you start working with these guys like Rick Slew, Andre Sterling, uh, Yilmaz. And people won't even know who Yilmaz is, but Yilmaz Mustafa was probably the most skilled of the lot of them. You know, and he, you know just an amazing boxer. Uh, we never got to see the best of him because, as I keep saying, you know, events outside the ring get in the way. And not, not to his detriment, by the way. Yilmaz is a good friend of mine and one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. Always friendly, always kind, always warm. I think he's working out of, uh, what's the Hackney Academy? Uh, that Jermaine's part of as well. I think he's doing that and he's working with Roy Conn out of Roosters. But Yilmaz, you know, if you ever see me with Yilmaz, I'll make you shake his hand because he's the most skilled guy I've seen in terms of hand speed, skill, all of that. He could do it all. And if he does become a coach... That's the guy that any aspiring pro should be getting with. So all of these guys, Big Chris, uh, we've said Rick Slew already, Galilee. And this is a really group of talented guys that I get to cut my teeth on. And then Mick passes away. I leave to go and work in Sweden. I get a chance to work with the Swedish Olympic squad. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean the Lodge network goes deep. So I managed to you know, get people to vouch for me. And I spent some time with those guys. Back, you know what I mean? Really talented guys, but really rigid doctrine in how they box. But learned a lot about getting people prepared for the Olympics and stuff. So I absolutely loved 2012 because that was a nice feather in my cap to have. Like, you know, I helped coach the Swedish boxing team while I was working out there. And so all of this time, remember, I'm gathering knowledge. I'm watching people. I get to see a lot of good people early. You know, you get to see these guys like Eric Skogland and so on and so forth. You get to see them. Um, Shouts out to Kennedy Katende. All these sorts of guys and Laurel Nash. You get to see all of this talent. I come back to the UK and the lodge is a mess. It's an absolute mess. Like it's infighting. And that civil war is never healed, by the way. Like it's never been resolved. It's like, it's like South Africa now. So much trauma was had between probably 2011, 2016. That's never been talked about, never been resolved. And it's, it's essentially meant that you have a Fitzroy Lodge diaspora. So we're all scattered in the four corners of the earth, right? And we never meet at the place where it all started for all of us. And I always pray it's a problem that we can rectify at some point soon because a club's only as strong as its legacy and its culture and its heritage. And you can't let that heritage burn. And I'll always fight for that. But... It's an absolute mess to this day. 
to this day. So I leave and I go, right, let me go to this new club, Double Jab. <laughs> and I get there and it's in, it's in like a community center. All right, and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell have I signed up for? But it's head coach, a man named Pat Harris. <clears throat> man had big dreams. And as I found out over the years, he had the courage to see those through. And I remember him saying, what do you want to do? He's like, do you want to box? I said, I don't feel I've got the time commitment to box, especially around making weight and stuff. And I said, I'd quite like to coach. Now, bear in mind at Fitzroy Lodge, like, this was an awkward conversation because, and I never know what it was. Was I a threat? Did they just not like me? But they could never see me coaching at Fitzroy Lodge. And that always hurt me. Because I knew I'd be the best. Because that club did so much for me at a time in my life when I was struggling. That I always wanted to pay it back. And when they were funny about that. And Double Jab were like, yep, mate, when do you want to do it? As soon as you're ready to do it, tell us, we'll pay for it. Do my level one, amateur. You know, And at this point, I'm now understanding how to put together a philosophy, right? So I'm like... I, I'm like in this gym and I'm saying to Pat, I'm like, I really think we can build champions here. The raw materials are so good. We just need to find an accelerated way to get them from zero to 100. And we did that. And I think if you look, we had a two year run from 2014 to 2016, where I think our guys could have beaten most of the people in London. I know the the Earlsfield gorilla will be listening to this now and he's going to message me and start laughing. But there's a point where we, we came from nowhere and suddenly people didn't want to match against us because you knew, even if you won, it was going to hurt badly. And so we figured this out and now I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, getting a few champions here, there, novice champions, Harringay champions. I'm like, okay, okay. Maybe I do know what I'm doing. And in parallel to this, I'm listening to what happens in terms of like boxing content because, you know, I was early on this idea that these podcasts are brilliant because I traveled a lot. And I love the idea that in headphones, I could just listen to stuff to kill time. I didn't have to listen to music. I didn't have to read. I could just be passively taking in information. And if you remember at the time, like the one that was really popping was Sky Toe to Toe, but it was so, it was so sterile. And look, if you look at the previous episode's notes, I asked a very simple question. Name your favorite moment from a toe-to-toe -to -toe podcast. And I don't think you can because there are none. No podcast was really giving you moments. And the guys who were were basically talking about burning people's babies and stuff. You had two horrible extremes that weren't really helping the fans. So this is what, tail end of 2015? And then something of equal importance happens towards the tail end of 2015. One of my friends tells me David Hayes making a comeback. And they say, right, he's going to have his first fight in 2016. And I'm like, hell no. Hell no. The guy has six bolts in his back. He ain't coming back. Like, my back's funny. And I couldn't dream of doing a 12-week camp. And they said, no, no, he thinks he can do it. And so in my head, I'm like, I need to be part of this. And I'm like, who's, who's going to be training with it? Tommy told me it was Shane. I said, who's got Shane's number? No one would give me Shane's number. So I doorstepped him and I doorstepped Shane and I said, Shane, if David's coming back, I've got the perfect young amateurs to get him where he needs to be. 
And he's laughing at me like, ah, come on, man, I hear this all the time. So I show him the videos. We exchange details. Me, Shane, and his assistant at the time, Steve Broughton. We exchange details. I'm like, ah, they'll probably just fuck me off. Get a phone call. Um, sort of December time. Uh, how soon can you guys be ready? I'm like, whenever. And we start having these embryonic works. I get to finally step into a haymaker gym for the first time in my life. And I'm trying not to, to fanboy the whole moment. And so as people know, I can't tell you that I trained David because I didn't. But I can tell you I was around for virtually all of that comeback. And then there was obviously the associated benefits of having to provide guys for George and all the other guys as well. So you build a strong relationship. So now I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, I'm in the sport now. I'm sure what I have to say is of value now. And so people have heard the story about me, Martin and Andy before. That's when I approached Martin and Andy. And we started this new age thing. And so remember, all of this is happening in parallel. Training amateurs for tournaments. Helping Shane when and where I can. And I'm doing the podcast too, as well as maintaining other relationships in the sport. This is all happening in parallel. Like it's, it's a bit manic. But I can see how it all ties together into a proposition that no one's delivering to the market. And so if you, if you go back and listen to the initial episodes of New Age, it's all a bit like we flirt with the idea of going to that dark side, right? We flirt with it. And I think there was a point when it was just like, right, let's just call it like it is. And I think once we decided to call it like it is, we built something great. Like I think New Age is the greatest boxing podcast in history. I do not believe for one second it will be bettered by anything that another human being does in the realm of boxing. Not ever. Because you'll never have that opportunity where so much was hidden from the fans and we were just able to kick down all of these doors. As a trio, we kicked down all of these doors and we said to the fans, they're telling you this, but this is what's really happening. Do with it what you will. Episode after episode, we made the sport feel uncomfortable. Like there were people running around going, who are these new age guys and where are they getting the information from? But it was A1 info. Like we were very rarely wrong on things. When people talk to you about some of my favorite moments behind the microphone, it would be sat next to Martin. And Martin would just go, I'm looking into my crystal ball. I see an ankle injury. I see, I see this fight not happening. And he did that so many times and he was spot on. And it was hilarious because you're trying to keep a straight face when you do it. And so as a trio, we build this thing called the New Age Boxing Podcast. It's this thing that, that brought together so many people. That connected so many people. So many people talk to me now and they say, without New Age... I wouldn't know half of what I know about boxing. I definitely wouldn't understand it the way I do now. And I'm like, that was what we were meant to do. Mission accomplished. In amongst all of that, we made you laugh. We made you think. We made you feel uncomfortable. For some people, we made you feel sick. But that's what good content does. It makes you feel. And so we do all of that. And... What happened over time, I think, was as we kicked down more doors, there were less doors to kick down. 
people realised they couldn't blag anymore, they couldn't bullshit fighters, they couldn't bullshit the fans anymore. And you got a far more straight-talking media, a more open media. You saw with Eddie Hearn. Eddie, Eddie couldn't lie to the fans in the same way because he knew there was a risk that we just pull him up on it. And so now you have a more transparent sport. Around virtually everything, you have a more transparent sport. And that's what three years of New Age did. It wasn't just us. Because if you think about it, New Age happened. And somewhere in the depths of South Yorkshire, a man in a massive gold chain and probably driving some form of AMG is there going, if those guys can do what they're doing, why can't I? And I remember like Porky would message me and be, listen, I love what you guys do. And then he, you know, we'd have phone calls and you realize that his energy was leaning towards that. And then that's how, you know, he then brought the link up with Dennis and that added another layer in terms of the quality of content we could do. And now look at Porky, flying, absolutely flying. Do you get Porky without New Age? I don't think you do. There's a lot of these outlets you wouldn't get without New Age. And I'll tell you what else you wouldn't get. You wouldn't get all of these branded podcasts trying to create noise to dumb down, well, not dumb down, but to, to, to sort of drown out what we were doing. And everyone was kicking out a podcast, weren't they, at one point? Everyone had a podcast to, to, to flex their point of view. A lot of them were branded. Uh, you know, Joe tried it with Frampton and Chris Lloyd. Didn't work. And the reason none of those pods worked, and the reason that Porky's still going now, and the reason that New Age could carry on now is we just didn't, we didn't lie. We didn't manage the message. We didn't filter. But what happens over time is there's just less and less of that stuff you can hit them with. And sometimes you can feel like you're almost just another podcast. So I think, look, by, mi by the time I said I can't do this anymore, I was probably fried. <sighs> Man, I'd been, I'd been redlining for at least three or four years. And I was, yeah, I was, I, was, I was done with a lot of things. I was done with boxing. I was done with loads of things. But I always look back on, the, on that new age year and say, no one will do that again. And I don't think people in boxing will allow that to happen again, where people can just come in and essentially just just rip everything apart and say, guys, this is a sport you have. And yes, it's every bit of a joke as you imagine it to be. Just just pause for a second and reflect on this. If you've listened to the stuff I've done since New Age. There, there are probably 10 moments you can be like, <laughs> that motherfucker really said that? And you can do the same for Martin and you can do the same for Andy. What can you do for pound for pound? Maybe something Spencer Oliver said where you're like, oh, he really said that? Or Max Branning. What do they say? Do you know? Or Andy Clark and Matthew Macklin. What did they say? Now think about what guys at Macklin must know. Think about what Matthew Macklin must know and is consciously keeping away from you guys. That's contempt for the fans, right? Matthew Macklin's like, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to tell you nothing apart from the fact that I beat Tony Sesse as an amateur. That's the only thing I know from Matthew Macklin and his podcast. Now look at it from another angle. 
Do you believe Tris Dixon does a podcast if New Age isn't popping? If people aren't talking about New Age and the things that came to follow? Hell no. You don't even have Bunsen Costello. All of this stuff came because not just New Age, but there were others. You know, there were others. But we said, look, three gentlemen recording in a in a bedroom in Milton Keynes can shift the boxing discussion in a way that you can't even drown out now. And everyone said, if they can do it, we can do it. And do you know what everyone found out? They found out 97.32% of a great podcast is chemistry. You don't manufacture that. You take me... You take Martin, you take Andy, replace any one of us with someone out off the street. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We're like an equilateral triangle, 60 degrees between, I mean, each point. You bring someone else in, you get, I don't even know, you get an isosceles triangle or a scalene triangle. And no one likes those because they're not particularly elegant. You know, practical in some senses, but not particularly elegant. The, the equilateral triangle Symmetry in all directions. You love that. And so that's what we had. And that's why it was so great. You had the right three people at the right time. So by the time that's done, I think everyone was burnt out at that point. I was for sure. And I was just enjoying not being involved in anything. Enjoying just working, enjoying my life and living, you know lifting weights, trying to be like Ronnie Coleman, all of that stuff. I enjoyed that. And so people now say, well, how did you end up doing your own thing? I wasn't going to. I genuinely thought, right, I'm going to have six months of doing nothing. What? Six months of doing nothing. And I was on a phone call to Donald Smith, and this is, well, it's got to be like maybe July 2019. Don't ask me the precise date. And we're on the phone, and I can remember, I'm on Marlebone High Street. Um, just going past the pub. I think it's the Marlebone, isn't it? That's the pub on Marlebone High Street. So I'm walking from there down to Bombouche on the corner. And I'm talking to Don. And Don's like, you can't stop. I'm like, what do you mean? So you can't stop. He's like, I'm just going to take half a year off. He said, no. People will forget about you. And I'm like, nah, they won't. And we're talking. And I remember what Donald said to me. And this is one of the reasons I'll do anything for that guy. Whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. He said to me, I will buy you the equipment. And I will deliver it to your front door. And I will sit there until you record your first solo episode. Because you can't stop now. The fans need to hear what you have to say. So, I'm like, mate, keep your money in your pocket. Give me a week and let me see if I can think about how this would work. Because at the time, I had no idea what I'd do. And no idea what I would do. And so, you know, he'd keep messaging me like, I'm going to buy that stuff and deliver it to your door. I was like, nah, don't do that. And I sat there and I just cobbled together a few ideas. What, what would it be? Um, so, if you remember, the initial incarnation was... The Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Yeah, it's an okay name, but it's a bit bit bullshit as well on reflection. But it tells you, 
I wasn't I wasn't where I needed to be, but there were some good episodes in that. That first run, there were some good episodes, but I was finding my voice. What do you do when you haven't got two superstars? And I'm going to call them superstars in this podcasting game. You haven't got two superstars by your side. What do you do? How do you carry that load on your own? And I had to learn that. And that's why you saw the episodes were a bit shorter. Um, they had a specific purpose. And what you saw over time. I started to find my voice. I don't think I really understood where I was until I did that first episode with Larry. So that might be it's either episode 70 or 77. And I was like, okay, this is connecting with the people. This is what they like. This is, this is when I step into a realm that no one else can keep, keep, no one can keep up when I hit this lane here. And I started to think it's, it's not necessarily about the boxing. People want that thing that's beyond the boxing. And that's where the kind of the new branding came from. And so since then, I've literally been trying to find my voice. I knew my voice when I did New Age, and I know my voice doing Beyond Boxing. That middle ground there, experimentation. So there were some really good episodes there. But if you look at this 100-episode run versus that one, which is like 92 or 93, I think there's more consistency now. Whereas before then, it was like, yeah, that's all right. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. And now, sort of finding that lane where people come to me and they go, I need you to tell me something that no one else is going to tell me. And that's my lane. I have to tell you guys something that no one else is going to tell you. And I think we've done that over 100 episodes. If I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. But over 100 episodes, I've delivered that for you. And this time away, when I could detach myself and really look at things objectively and look at, look at the world in which we're in in terms of boxing, I could look and I could go, I've done 300 odd episodes. And in those episodes, if you were listening to those episodes for thousands of you, it was the first time you heard of Dan Aziz. It was the first time you heard of Umar Sadiq. It was the first time you heard of Louis Lin. First time you heard of Danny Dignam. The first time you heard of Matthew Tinker, Andre Sterling, Ellie Scottney, Lauren Price. It was the first place you heard about most people. Most pl first place you heard about Daniel Dubois. First place you heard about Echo Esserman. First place you heard about Boatsy. And the list goes on. Through listening to this, you've seen me rise with guys like John Pilata, Courtney Bennett. And you've seen how their lives and careers have gone. I say the same thing with Denzel Bentley. You put him in that mix, put Isaac in that mix. And I look back and I said, we've really done a lot. But from those guys, not a lot came back. I know who listens to, to the episodes I do. And it doesn't mean that they listen to every hundred, every one of the hundred. See, now you know that I don't edit. It's that they listen to enough of them 
that they know who I am and what I do. And so part of me is like, why wouldn't you show support? I showed support for people when they weren't even known. I showed support for people when it was like, do you know what? Imagine this guy doesn't make it. But do you know what it is? I believed in that. It wasn't a favor. It didn't need paying back. It was just, I believed in it. Same way that when you see me on Porky's Corner, it's not me doing Russ a favor. I believe in Russell Hartley. He has a different mission to me when it comes to broadcasting about boxing. But I believe in his mission because somebody has to do it. And so when I go on there, what I'm saying is I believe in your mission. I don't have to do it. We'd still be good friends if I didn't do it. But the support tells me, tell, tells him more importantly, I believe in that. When I spent the £250 to watch Dan Aziz fight Jose Burden for the British title, I didn't do it as a favour. I did it because I believed Dan would win. And I wanted to be there with Dan, when Dan won because I've known Dan for a decade. It's not a business relationship I have with Dan. That's brotherhood. Sometimes I wonder if he realises that. It's legit brotherhood. If something happened to, to Brian O'Shaughnessy, God forbid that ever did happen, and Dan rang me and said, T, I need you to train me. I'd drop what I was doing. I'd stop recording and we'd go, right, mate, here's when we're training. Not because I need the money, I don't. Brotherhood. When the Bodzitz guy said, tell me about Dan Aziz, and I said, Dan Aziz is a gentleman. He's a smart guy. He's a guy that you'd invite to a barbecue even if you'd only met him an hour ago. And they said, no, no, tell me what he's like his boxing. I said, don't even worry about that. He's got that locked down. Worry about Dan the person. That's the conversation we had. Now, if you want to name the top three people at Sky in terms of boxing, cool. You do that. They were there. Did I do that as a favor? No, I did it because I genuinely believe that. When I told them, you might need to sign Denzel when his contract's up. I did it because I believe that. That's what me behind a microphone is about. What do I believe in? When I tell you Jamie Shakiva is the most unique heavyweight Britain has right now in the professional ranks, I believe that. I believe that. When I said to people, Lauren Price is a special human being for what she's achieved, I believe that. And the facts speak for themselves. A young woman who won a gold medal at 75 kilos, which is middleweight in the amateurs. And I think when she was weighing in, she might have even been coming in underweight. She didn't have to make weight. She was that small and she won. Raised by your grandparents. You had to drive a taxi for a bit to make ends meet. All of this stuff. So when I sit in front of a microphone and I talk, I talk about what I truly believe in. And it always hurts that that doesn't come back. But I've seen people tap dance 
when the mainstream broadcasters come and say, can you do some content for us? Now, just for, just for a sense of perspective, right? Just so you understand what these implications are. Those branded podcasts, whatever Sky are doing and BT are doing, all this, they don't do numbers. They don't. They honestly don't do numbers. And they've got machines behind them. Fans are just turned off to them because they don't deliver moments. I think I've delivered 100 episodes of Beyond Boxing and I've got at least moments in half of those. Other times it's a bit transactional, there's not much I can say, but there are moments there where you go, oh, I'd never thought of it like that, or oh, wow, that's something I never expected to hear. So when these guys tap dance for the broadcasters and this and the third, I get the, the commitment from a commercial perspective, but then to, to not but to not then say, well, let me support this guy who supported me. Let me, let me help him get to this level here. Because really, if I go back on there and do my thing, that's even more people who get to hear. We create a bigger moment. And no one thinks like that. That's why a lot of these guys are going to be driving buses in their 40s. I can't help that. Part of it's hurtful. hurtful. You know, when you step back and you've got weeks to reflect on it and you, you look at who didn't bang the drum for you. But then I'll tell you what happened and this is a sort of turnaround. I remember who did bang the drum for me. And that's why I've got to shout out Mike McGoldrick. You can say what you want. Started late in the game. His record may not be undefeated, whatever. Mike McGoldrick, when given the MTK account to run for a day, he had 24 hours, I think, was one of the few people who had the courage. When they said, what's your favorite podcast? He said, mine. Shouted me out. Anything Mike McGoldrick needs from me, man, he's got. Anytime, any place. Because he had the courage. I, there are people I know better. There are people I've done more for who've never done that for me. Mike did. And if I can just step to the side for a bit, I think everyone should follow Mike McGoldrick. I don't think there's a more interesting boxer right now because if you look at it, just go and look at his, his Instagram bio. I think it's Goldie underscore MM, Mike McGoldrick. On his Instagram bio has the mountains he's climbed, like, like not metaphorical, oh, I came from the struggle, I saw guns and bullets everywhere, that nonsense that none of these kids really lived through. Real mountains, like things that come out the earth, like things that will give you altitude sickness. This guy's climbed them. And so when you look at his Instagram content, he's hiking in the Cumbrian hills, he's mountain biking, he's road biking, he's camping, seems to live in that Bear grills life. And I'm looking at this going, he might be the most interesting boxer because now in my head I'm like, what the hell did you do before you turned pro? And now in my head I'm like, is there an episode in there somewhere with Mike McGoldrick? Because there has to be. What the hell did you do between stopping boxing in your teens and then picking it up again in your early 30s? What were you doing? And what brought you back? And all of this stuff. There's a multidimensional boxer. There's a guy who, when he was given a platform, said, this guy knows his stuff. Listen to him. 
that that being reminded of that, then I just said, that's all I care about. So what what will what will the and I don't know if this is the final run, it probably is for however long it goes on for, what will this be? I just I just want to find those moments. That's it. I want you guys to listen to that going, whew, that's all. And as long as I can keep doing that, and I've got good people around me, and they'll tell me when I lose that edge, as long as I can keep doing that, you guys will keep getting episodes. That's my commitment to you now. My aim is to make you guys go, whew, or at least I'd never thought of it like that. Or even if you just laugh at something I said, that's the aim going forward. I have no plans to have any guests. The reason Larry made number 100 is Larry gives you those moments. Number one. Number two, he didn't flinch when I said, mate, let's go. He didn't flinch. He said, yep, I'm ready. Send me an outline. He looked at the outline. He said, sounds good to me. We did it. Three hours recording about two and a half hours editing and getting it prettied up and ready to go. And there, you had episode 100. Didn't have to chase him around the world. Didn't have to do anything else. That's what happened. Will I have any more guests? I don't know. If it's convenient for me, yeah. If I think we can get a moment, yeah. That's going to be the only requirement to be on here. You're going to have to be prepared to be uncomfortable because I have to be. I have to come out here and tell you my hurt at the fact that boxing doesn't show this show the love that it deserves. And I'm tired of hearing the political answer of, yeah, but if the promoters know I listen, it might affect chances. No, it doesn't because they listen. I find it interesting that for years, Coogan will pretend that he doesn't listen to anything I do. And then almost like in the space of under two years, he's been upset at two things that I've said. Number one was the one about the fake numbers. I was proved right on that. Number two, apparently my MTK episode, he wasn't happy that I said he better not rat. So I said it to his face, you better not rat. And next time I see him, I want him to cave my fucking head in. I really do. I want Coogan Cassius to cave my fucking head in. Because I'm tired of people pretending they don't listen and then crying when, when I do say something about them. So I thought you weren't listening. Then they do that thing of, well, someone told me about it. I'm like, no, go and find out for yourself. What is it exactly that I said? Cave my head in, please. God, that's, that's my dream for the rest of the year. Him to cave my head in. I want him to try. Please. If you're close to him, tell him from me. I want him to cave my head in because that's where I'm at right now. All of these people, if you really want to bring that negativity to me, cool, you're going to get this energy because he could have just rung me and said, I think you're a bit strong in what you said. And I would have probably apologized and said, uh, I was speaking with incomplete information. But the fact is I wasn't. There's a lot I know about that situation that I'm not allowed to say because if I did, they'd figure out who said it and it's problematic. Just know it stinks from top to bottom. And he's in that mix. You know, you can't have done what he does for that long. And now you want to start saying, oh, you're separate from it. Hell no. 
So next time, next time I bump into him, let's see if he caves my head in. Be fun. Want to find, want to find out if he's capable of caving someone's head in. That's to anyone. If, if you had a chance to help and you chose not to, it's going to be remembered. It's going to be logged. Because everyone had their chance. A hundred episodes, everyone had their chance. But we're going to go on without them. You know why? Because there's an audience that's committed to this. There's an audience that believes in what we're trying to do here, which is create moments. And that's what I truly love. That's what I'm grateful for having. An audience that values the fact that this is about creating moments. So that when we bump into each other, someone can just go, you know what, I still remember when you said X. And we can bond over that. And you guys can bond over that independently of me. That's the real win. When you guys can bond and do stuff and I don't have to be there. Perfect. That's heaven for me. But you can't call an episode thank you and not thank people. That's absolutely insane, isn't it? So I do have to do a quick roll call of thanks. And at this point, feel free to tune out if you want to. But, you know, there has to be some kind of historical record. I'm not going to remember everyone. And I'm not even going to try. Whoever's, whoever's at the top of my mind is going to get out. If I've missed you, message me. And I will wholeheartedly apologize. And you'll be in the next episode. But... You know, you have to give thanks to the people who've helped you get this far over the years, um, over the bumps and the obstacles and all the pain, um, you know, in terms of delivering podcasts. So I always have to thank the first two, Martin and Andy, because without those two, I don't think this happens. I don't think people understand. We stopped doing the podcast, but I never lost Martin and Andy, nor do I ever plan to. Two great human beings, special human beings, Respect both of them for the fact that they just make shit happen. And I'm a guy that likes to make stuff happen. And we, we caught up at the end of May. And that kind of reinvigorated my will to, to sit behind a microphone again. Because it's just great being around those guys. Fantastic human beings. Funny. Witty. I wasn't joking when I said this is the greatest episode never recorded. Because we just hit our groove. Like this, that's probably just like Fleetwood Mac, isn't it? Just get them playing again and bang, it's just there. Will we ever record again? There's a chance we could. It will never be boxing though. I don't I think I think as a trio we're past boxing. I think just life itself has pulled us away from boxing and we don't feel the same way about it as we did in the new age days. We just don't. It's not giving us what we need it to give. And we've been asking for long enough now that if it's not gonna do that. We can burn our time elsewhere. We can dedicate more time to our friends, our families, our pastimes, all that sort of stuff. But I'll never give up on the idea that we, we reunite and do something. You know, that's, that would be my transition point. <laughs> Literally going from new age to going solo to doing something with those guys again. That would be my transition plan. Don't ask me when, why or how. But if anyone's got real meaningful links to broadcasters, content producers and stuff like that, feel free to send them and we'll go from there. But I need to thank those two because none of this happens without those two. I need to thank Winnie. Um, some of you know who Winnie is, a lot of you don't. Winnie is... She's like the Henry Kissinger of, of all of this. Just 
unbelievably quiet, unbelievably influential. Like, I think she's listened to everything I've ever done and has always given me an honest verdict. Like, some of them she'd be like, ah, nah, that felt transactional. And she's always been honest with me. So, she's had 300 episodes to build up a good idea of when I'm at my best, when I'm not. Um, there aren't many people who who know me as well as she does and, like, the trust between us is insane. So I'm always grateful for her time and commitment and effort, man. So massive thank you to her. I also have to thank the the hardcore Tafosi. Um, the guys who, no matter what I say and do, always seem to be behind me. You know, uh, the people you, you bang the drum for. The, the guys who, who help... How do you put it? Without getting overly emotional. You... You can go through dark periods. Maybe sometimes what you say doesn't hit the way you wanted it to, or maybe sometimes you haven't grown at 30% when you wanted to. And it's this group of people that make you go, do I need anybody else? And it's people like Danny Watley. Ah, what do you say about Danny Watley, man? As committed and dedicated as they come, great human being, heart of gold, um unfairly treated by the boxing system as far as I'm concerned. Why no one in Barnsley's letting this motherfucker coach is beyond me, but that's the toxicity in boxing. Danny, mate, I'll tell you this now, they do it to me. If they could drive me out of boxing, if they could suspend my license, they would. It's why I don't have one right now. Because they're itching to make my life a misery, and that's how they would have done it. Yeah? When you see all of these guys wheeling out the platitudes about boxing changing lives and this and that is bullshit, by the way. Don't buy into any of it. It's not true. This is what boxing is. Boxing is a bunch of old men who want to just keep hanging out with their mates in the sport. And they want the government to pay for it. And so they co concoct this nonsense about we help kids off the street. I'll tell you who helps kids off the street. George Turner at Carney's Community. There's a guy who doesn't do it for the fame or the clout. Does it from conscience. A lot of these other boxing gyms is just a business. And for them to be treating Danny this way for me is a disgrace. Um, anyone in the Barnsley area, feel free to make your opinions known to those guys. Uh, it's, it's an absolute disgrace. But Danny Watley, thoroughly solid human being. Great guy. Smart guy too. Don't, don't sleep on that. Yeah. And then on the subject of smart guys, I always have to tip my hat off to Porky. And like I said earlier, Porky's legitimately one of my good friends. Um, there's a guy who Porky is so smart this is how I describe it Porky is so smart that he's dumb at a lot of things like I always like you hear Porky talk and he can rip most arguments to shreds pretty quickly man he will smash you with facts and figures but I don't believe he can tie his shoelaces I don't I don't believe he can put sugar in a cup of tea but Jesus Christ he'll tell you what a million and 23 times a million and 23 is in about half a second exceptional human being extraordinary human being like his capacity for love and consideration no one has a clue about so when i see him getting slaughtered online i'm like you lot of scumbags because you don't have the capacity to to love and to care like he does but i'll always take my hat off to russ um he's been he's been there through a long part of the journey and he's actually helped me i mean he's helped me in so many different ways and i'm glad that i can also help wherever i can can't say Porky, that's say Riku. 
through the new age, I became friends with Riku. I, I see him as he's like a younger brother to me. I can say that because he's younger than me. Love that guy to the moon and back. Special guy. Listens to everything. Has his view. Like he'll check me if he thinks I'm off on something too. There's it's another voice I listen to. You know, these are the guys who have listened to enough content. They'll know when I don't have it anymore and when I should probably hang it up. You know, I can't... So I can't keep going without thanking AP, Mr. Pyra. Um, had many a good night out talking boxing and how it can go forward. You know, I think we class those as banging our heads against brick walls. But, you know, a lot of good stuff came out of that. And, you know, a lifelong friend came out of that, which is the most important thing. So I'm eternally grateful for the friendship and the support. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, just the fact that we actually have an ability to make each other laugh. Like I think our general cynicism about where boxing's headed, you know, keeps us united and bonded, but thoroughly good man in his own right. I should also thank my friend Jack G. And I don't want to heat him up with his surname. We've been friends nearly 22 years. So we met at university and we've been friends ever since. Always grateful for that support. You know, my friend Ed, I know he dips in and out and listens, but he just pretends that he doesn't. So, you know I mean, lots of love for my university mates because... We've all been through a lot together, so I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, you know, the support is always appreciated. Got to thank Rob Martin. Like, it's crazy because he's not on Twitter anymore. It's almost like he's, he's disappeared, but he hasn't. He's still there. He's still supporting South London boxing. And Rob's still one of the nicest people you're going to meet. Straight talking, but incredibly funny. And, you know, watching him grow within boxing... It's been impressive. I just wish people gave him more respect within boxing because you can't take guys like that for granted. They're the lifeblood of the sport. They're the foundation and the platform of the sport. So, I mean, if you have interactions with Rob Martin, shake the man's hand, tell him thank you, and we appreciate you. I'm trying to think, who else do I need to? I wanted to shout out Sean Earls as well. The biggest crime is that Sean Earls' gym is about two miles from me, and I still haven't, A, I haven't received an invitation to come. B, I haven't actually just doorstepped in myself. But there's a guy, he's a young guy, 10 years from now, he might be one of the elite coaches. I still think he needs a couple of hours around me to, to really sharpen those skills up. But yeah, he ain't invited me yet. But got to thank him as well. Always supportive of what I do. Um, the, guy, the guy at Frank Warren, <laughs> the guy that runs the Frank Warren account, I don't think I can say his name in case he gets fired for being affiliated with me. So he's into that, that sort of secret listener category, but he shows love too. Uh, him and the Earlsfield Gorilla, you know who you are. So I can't say him either because he, he's worried that I'm bad for business. But, you know, they listen, they listen regularly. And, you know, if I'm wrong or if they disagree, they'll always check me on it. So I have to be careful not to dox people. So I can only use proper names when they have their proper names on their social media. Otherwise, I don't want to be doxing people and... <laughs> They end up getting random letters and emails and stuff. So thank Jamie Ingleby. When it comes to the amateur side, like we've gone back and forth over the years because, you know, he was heavily involved in the army boxing team. Um, they robbed my guy Courtney of his ABA title and we had a good old row about that. But knows his boxing, loves his boxing, great human being. Um, slightly jealous that he gets to live in the Southwest, but fantastic. And I've always appreciated his support. And that's from like new age all the way to now. Uh, same with Fran, can't say her surname because I don't think she has it publicly. But she's she's backed this from God knows when. And always supportive, always shares, 
Like I said, always grateful for this. The same with Boxing Barry too. Um, if ever I meet Boxing Barry in the flesh, man, beers are on me. It's a promise. Like you, you've put you put more work into sharing my content than I have. So I'm eternally grateful. Uh, Liam, same to you as well. You're up there. I'm gonna say the northeast if I remember correctly, but you know I can't be putting your government out there either because you don't have it on social media. But eternally grateful for the support and a lot of people don't understand how far that goes like even this is making me feel emotional when you start to realize actually there's a pretty solid army behind what we're trying to do here you know we could run through these all day um lee mac west midlands boxing uh matrix fitness up in great malvin am i right on that no idea uh kasim and i owe you an answer as to why why it's not always a good idea to step forward when you jab. So the simple answer is, you only want to step forward when there's territory to take. Sometimes you're better off just, especially if you've got the reach advantage, maintaining your position and shooting the jab out there, right? Because it gives you variety. If you always step in with your jab, which a lot of British fighters do, predictable and easy to read. And what someone can do is just come around the corner on you, hit you with the right hand. So sometimes you want to step in, sometimes you don't want to step in. Makes you, makes you quite hard to read. And also, being able to jab going forwards, holding your position, and going backwards, I think is the most basic skill for any professional boxer. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? What have you been doing for the last 10 years with your jab that you can't throw your jab any which way? Because the list can go on. Paul Altai, Rizzi Rio, uh, Oga 17 Yuri. The, this list could go on forever. Do you know, even guys like Steve Good and he acts like he doesn't listen. I know Steve listens because he knows that there's nuggets and gems in there. Um, Welsh Ollie, Ellis Cummings, big shout out to him. Maybe like, ah, Senor Tasty. Let me not forget Senor Tasty. Now, verbal warning. Like, there are loads of these that can go on. Uh, Harry CB don't want to put his government out there either young Kieran all the people who still I mean listen and engage uh, don't know if Brendan Woodside still listens I hope he still does if not mate come back to the fold um, you know guys in the sport that show love shouts out to Raf Raf's one of the best young coaches coming through I wish someone would give him a proper opportunity um, I trained Raf years ago love Raf like out him in his late teens would have been an absolute monster man like absolute monster soaks in information like no other so i mean looking forward to seeing what raf does in the sport you know don't be afraid to give the kid a chance i mean too many times we stick around with these branded trainers and it's like huh, what's the point um eddie lamb adam martin so much love for those guys it's crazy that our relationships now are better than they were at the lodge but i guess it's a function of being older and wiser but they're two guys I look up to as my boxing big brothers. Love what Eddie's doing. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say this, man. It just looks like he's got that trajectory of, for being a trusted matchroom trainer. I think what he's done with Sky Nicholson has been really good, um, but I had no doubt that he had that in him. And I don't think it's necessarily a crime for him to be given more matchroom guys because he's got two now. You could give any of those prospects to Eddie. And he's the kind of guy that, you'd want to do anything for him. I feel the same way about Adam Martin too. The fact that no big name guy has gone to Adam and said, look, what can you do for me? Is a disgrace. And people may criticize the Jermaine Brown performance. That's just a few tweaks away from fixing, to be honest with you. That, 
that that's that's just lessons learned. Adam's got that that talent, that gift. I think you know it's just little things like working out actually the real physiology of punching, the biomechanics of punching, just little tweaks, and I mean he he he'll be there creating monsters too. So I've got a lot of time for him, and there's the other guys that have genuinely been good. That listen, if I've forgotten you. Super, super sorry. Let me not forget Adrian the Remedy. Let me not forget Adrian G um, over in Sweden. You know what I mean? He won't be at his wedding, so I have to shout him out. Jesus, I've got to thank the guests. Now, that nearly slipped my mind. So thank the guests who, who gave you guys some really compelling moments. So I'm going to try and remember all the guests that we've had. Um, thank Umar Sadiq. Loving what he's attempted to do in L.A. I think it's fantastic that he's not constrained by notions of what boxers should do. And so wish him all the best in L.A. I have a feeling you'll be seeing him on a screen near you at some point. And you know, he's the sort of guy who will take that disciplined boxing game and be a success. Got to thank Donald Smith because, you know, he was, as I said earlier, and I think I've already thanked him, but I want to thank him for being a guest and giving you a really informed view as an up-and-coming trainer. And I think now that he's sort of establishing himself as his own man, it'll be interesting to see where his head's at. And then on the subject of trainers, we have to thank Greg Hackett. I don't know how many we did with Greg three. And I think Greg was one of the most compelling listens because it gave us a perspective we don't normally have in the United Kingdom. And I think I'd like to do one with Greg where we get more of the Philly in Greg and less of the, you know, trying to do it for a UK audience. I like it when he's just, relaxed and open about boxing i think he's got an incredibly good boxing brain and i love how he keeps things really really simple i think he's class i've got to thank isaac chamberlain the enigma of british boxing isn't he isaac's a class act he's a great human being i don't even know how you describe isaac it is like he caught every unlucky raindrop going and you just want to see him have two years where there are no issues. I don't know why Sky don't just sign him and say, we're going to get behind you. Even if it's leading up to a fight with Richard, so what? Just get behind Isaac and say, Isaac, you're going to fight every two months for the next year. He deserves that. Great servant to British boxing. And I'm going to have to thank Larry as always. Larry O. What do you say? If ever a man knew his stuff and his stuff is as arcane and as technical as it gets and he's a thousand percent on top of it, gave you two great episodes, six hours of content you won't find anywhere else. You can try, but you would fail. Um, got to thank Dan Aziz. The fact that it took us so long to, to make it happen is irrelevant. When he came on, he was absolutely brilliant and he showed why he is a gentleman. Like he, he was class all the way through. I'm going to say the same about Denzel as well. I thought Denzel was class. We've had different flavors of interview, which I think is good. The one after the Phoenix Cash fight, I, I enjoyed the fact that we did it. It didn't make me feel good doing it, but I feel Denzel's an infinitely better boxer for having gone through that period. If you don't believe me, look, his British title hasn't left these shores yet, I don't think. And that's a good sign. And he looks like he's close to his weight. So they're not going to be able to steal the belt off him this time. God, this wasn't meant to go past an hour. And it has done. But I also have to thank Courtney Tuck. Now, 
we go back a decade, I used to train him and then he sort of disappeared from boxing for a bit and he's come back and if, if you want someone tangible to link him to, he's involved in the management of Jamie Shakiva and Chris Congo and one of the reasons I got a lot of time for Courtney is he was a, a strong base of support for Daryl Williams when Daryl was disillusioned with boxing and Anybody who knows me well knows that Daryl Williams is one of my favourite people in boxing because I've always had a good relationship with him and he's always been he's always been good to me. And in boxing it's rare that you meet people who are exactly as they say on the tin and Daryl's one of them. So I think Courtney Tuck will be one of those names you'll see a lot more of in the next 18 months to two years. There's a guy who genuinely wants to give back to boxing, doesn't need the money, but wants to use what he's learned outside of boxing to help boxers fulfill their economic potential. So kudos to him. There are so many people who have been behind this and have shown me love that I always wonder what I'd do when it was done. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to go that far yet, but I am so, so grateful. Like just having done this, this literally whistle stop tour through my podcast life. I'm so grateful to have people like this because there was a time when I was younger and I just wanted people to know who I was when I was younger. I think we all do, right? We just want people to know who we are. And then you get to an age and you just believe in yourself and you've got that confidence. It, it takes a while. I don't care who you are. It takes a while. Even the most confident people outwardly will tell you the truth. It takes a while and now I'm at that point in my life where I'm grateful that people are interested in me. That's all. I'm grateful. Because they don't have to be. And this episode wasn't really intended as 101. So this is just a short term one like I did with, I think I did one with, with Fury, Diddy and White. I have it up for a few days. I just wanted to make sure people understood how grateful I am. Um, just the people who have shown support, the guys who have fronted up and shown that, you know, this means something in whatever way, you know, whether it's because we've worked together before, whether it's because you've come to me for advice or support, whatever it is. Always, always grateful. Always. For as long as I'm on this earth, I'll be grateful for the people who, who believed in this. Apart from Coogan caving my face in, we ain't got no negativity for anybody else. But that caving my face in is just for the, just, just the disrespect, really. But we've built something positive, I think. I think we've built something that's fair, that's balanced, that doesn't need to be so angry anymore because we went through that phase. But we just need to keep creating those moments. And that's my pledge to you is to keep creating those moments. And that's probably a sensible point to sign off and just say, guys, once again, man, 100 not out, we're still going. And as long as you guys keep supporting, we'll still keep going. You take care. Oh, just one, one quick response to, to Clarence Sharma, who says in six weeks he's listened to every episode I've ever recorded, which is fair enough. But listen, mate, it is not bedtime listening. I don't want you falling asleep to... To my content, man. It's, it's dog walking music, it's treadmill music, it's on the train music, it's daylight music, man. Not even music, it's daylight content. Do you know what? I nearly slipped my mind that 
Maybe I just had a quote on Spurs fans I could mention. But I've got to mention Kaners as well. Show me love in his home city. Um, love where he's taking you know, music in his home city. I say Bristol, yeah. I love where he's taking that music. You know, he's pushing. And that's what, it's, that's what life's about, just having a go. Got to shout out Sugar Kane as well. You know, enjoy Croatia if you're out there. I'm trying to think, who else am I missing out on in terms of people who I actively engage with? Um, Dan Glozier. Got to thank him as well. Uh, may, I don't know if you'll convince me to play defensive tackle yet. Maybe. I might, I might do that. Uh, North Bank Bren. Um, THFC. You know, all, all the people who show love and support and the retweets and all that. All much appreciated. So, you know, you guys must be bored of me saying thank you. But thank you.